On this episode of Resi Week, we talk Amazon expanding Echo, Home Tech Expo, and Warp Zone employees. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 383, Bleeding Cash. Welcome to this episode of Resi Week. This is your weekly roundup of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matt D. Scott for avnation.tv. And this week, I'm pleased to be joined by two of my good friends. First, we have Katie McGregor Bennett. She's the president of KMB Communications. How are you doing, Katie? Doing great. Week before Infocom. Woohoo! <laughs> she's super stressed and she's here. So kudos. Yeah, it's great. Uh, then the other gentleman joining us today is Mr. Henry Clifford. He's the president of Livewire and a co-founder of Paracel. How are you doing, Mr. Clifford? Matt, good to see you. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Good to see you too, buddy. It's been it's been a minute. All right, let's jump right in to a story that comes to us from a residential tech today. Amazon has expanded and in and enhances its Echo product line. This is from uh, a good friend of ours, Mr. Michael Heist. Uh, he gives a quick rundown of all of the things that Amazon uh, announced in their Echo line. It includes the Echo Pop, the Echo Show 5, their third gen, the Echo Show 5 for, for kids. Um, yeah, we'll get into that. And Echo Buds, which we won't talk about at all. Um, Katie, one of the, the cool things in this announcement, uh, centers around the Echo Pop. It's a cool looking sphere, works essentially just like a dot, but the really kind of cool side of it uh, is A, it includes support for Matter, which when Matter finally kicks off and has something happening with it, that'll be great. Uh, no, no, no snark there at all. Um, but more importantly, it comes with uh, Eero built in. So it's supposed to add approximately a thousand square feet of additional coverage to an existing Eero mesh Wi-Fi network, which I do think is kind of cool because again, you, you go into not anyone's house, but a lot of people's homes and you see these scattered throughout the house. And then you also see the Wi-Fi pucks um, usually sent to them from a distributor or I'm sorry, from a, from an ISP or something throughout the house as well. Everybody hates those. This is a great way to expand and grow and strengthen in your own network. Do you expect to see kind of in, in, in the tech world in general, more of this kind of like piggybacking um, with Wi-Fi extenders and, and, and things like that onto a lot of these kind of generic throwaway devices? I do. Yeah, no, I, I do. And I, and like you, I think it is really interesting that it's, it's pairing up of technologies. I think it's, it's, a sign of what is to come. Um, mm -hmm. I also think it's interesting to see then how do other brands get in on get in on this gig. I mean, this is <laughs> this is a pretty sweet yeah. piggyback deal if ever there was one. Oh, yeah. um, so I, you know, I think from a technology standpoint, we're definitely going to see more of this, and the more brands that are already working towards integrating and being compatible with more mainstream brands, this is kind of how you know it, how how it's how it's getting done. Um, not a big fan of the design, but you know, whatever. Um, really? 
you know, well, I'll, I'll I say it's kind of cute. It's it's kind of cute, but you have to understand that the PR picture is like this weird blue, green, orange thing, which is I think it's hideous. But whatever. Um, you know, they missed the boat by not putting a bunch of antennas and antennas and blinking lights. I'm missing all of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. That is the one thing about the design that I do like that, you know, we're starting to get away from from those things, kind of like the flashing 12 of days gone by that, you know, we just we can't we can't mm -hmm. learn how to make it look any better. This is a step in the better direction. Um, and, you know, I think it'll it'll definitely continue to evolve. You know, I'm, I'm happy to not see something that's just around little puck or a little cylindrical yeah. thing, too. I mean, like, that's already been done 500 times. So, <laughs> yeah, I hear you. All right, Henry, um, as I, I might have alluded to earlier, they also announced the Echo Show 5, which is a third generation, as well as the Echo Show 5 for kids, which has a cool little fabric printed screen, um, also includes a camera and uh, some other stuff. I don't like this at all. I will be incredibly blunt about that um i know it is supposed to work with amazon kids plus uh it, it's supposed to be locked down to some degree it still has a stinking camera on it i am not comfortable with the concept of either a marketing this stuff to kids and b putting it in their rooms on and available because you know I, I i know they have the little slider block to block the camera and I know every child will instantly slide that thing open and forget about it and never care. And I'm sure that they are doing everything in their power to keep them secure. But I just, I don't, I don't like it. I, I, I've seen YouTube kids and I've seen what can be fed through YouTube kids as well, right? As much as they're locked down, I, I, I don't love the concept of like, here, give this to a child and... Because I know my my eight year old and my six year old would look at this and be like, "This is awesome! I need one for my room." And then I have to be the bad dad who's like, "Nope, nice try." Am I off base on this? Why are they marketing this to kids? Well, I, I think because they can, and then they also probably understand um, that you get them the younger you get them, just like with any other addictive yeah. substance. So, like mo most of it's it's interesting. I see this inverse curve where. Most of the folks I know who are technologists have fairly restrictive tech uh, <laughs> policies with their own children. I mean, this goes yep. back to articles I read years ago about Bill Gates and his own children yeah. where, you know, they wouldn't have devices until m much later than their peers. And this was way before social media and cell phones, et cetera. So I feel like now you've got this sort of, the from the 80% are for the most part technology users. And to some extent, we were all wherever we were in 2007, when the iPhone came out kind of informs, I think a lot of how we feel about this. And so a lot of the, the permissiveness I see is from folks who don't really have an understanding of how the underlying platforms work, the significance of the hardware, why some of these things are free because they are the product. And so like, I'm, I'm with you on that. And then, then tie that back to some of the marketing reminds me a lot of some of the tobacco uh, manufacturers where 
they talk about things like responsible choices. I mean, they're, mm -hmm. they're, they kind of use language around like these are things that are kind of fundamentally can be very dangerous. Um, and I think things like social media and data, uh, data acquisition, which is really, this is the game for this, this Amazon product. Uh, you know, it comes in the house, it's a Trojan horse and it really preys on the fact that you have an audience of, I would say, intentional ignorance. I mean, usually these are the folks that tend to sort of wildly, um, proudly proclaim that they don't understand how any of this stuff works. Um, and then they don't want to understand, but yet at the same time, these are the same folks who have bought their kids iPhones in the third grade. So yeah. do I like it? No. Uh, do I see where it's heading? You know, there's not really a lot of regulatory stuff going on. They're giving away the, um, they're giving away the razor. They're not even selling the blades. I mean, they're the, and, and they're trying like hell too here, Matt, to monetize mm -hmm. Alexa in a way that they haven't oh, been yeah. able to so far. So they're just throwing stuff against the wall. They bled cash like a stuck pig on this thing. And, you know, until generative AI is able to pair and do something, you know, with the back end right now, they're just in a hardware game of giving every room they can, I, you know, eyes, ears, and a mouth. And this show, like it or don't like it, 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 it does that. Yeah, no, it really does. And it, it's, it's funny because to your point, I get asked at least probably weekly, you know, if my kids have mobile phones or computers in their rooms or any like what tech do they have and and again mine are younger than um a lot of the other people i know in the, in the business but um they have nothing mm. they like we have an imac in the kitchen that they can use supervised um and they play chess on it and make music in garage band right and do like french lessons and stuff it, there's no my, my kids are not allowed to surf the internet. They don't know what the internet is because they'll learn that fast enough. I, I'm just, I'm continually baffled at um, other people who, uh, to, to your point, are, are buying iPhones in the third grade. It just, they don't know what they're doing. It's awesome. <clears throat> All right, let's get off that topic before I get canceled up here. Um, this comes to us from Residential Systems. The Home Tech Expo has been rescheduled for October of 2024. The decision to reschedule the event is in response to feedback from exhibitors who desired an ex uh, who expressed a desire to have more time to plan. Um, it was originally scheduled for October of 2023. It has been pushed back a year. Uh, this is our good friend uh, Mark, who kind of helped kick off uh, what are now the T the the Cedia Tech Home Summits. And obviously this is directed towards the end users. <clears throat> Henry, let me, let me start with you on this. I, I, I love this idea because it's going over and above, you know, the traditional home and garden show that every, you know, probably medium size to large city has uh, every, you know, every year, if not a couple of times a year. Um, we just talked about uh, the audio advices live event in North Carolina that's coming up in August. Again, a big consumer facing show. Is this a, a, a really effective route to get in front of end users for just our inner, our industry in general? 
Yeah, great question. Uh, I, I think it's, for this one anyway, it's really just down to the three elements, right? Location, location, location. So, I mean, mm -hmm. this Home Tech Expo is Orange County. And last time I checked, that was a pretty target-rich environment for yeah. pulling, pulling folks in. So, if it's going to succeed, it'll succeed in somewhere like Orange County. I'm not sure we have a lot of data points to sort of forecast to say whether this will or won't be um, successful. But at the end of the day, I mean, experience with the, the things that we do is everything. Um, yeah. And, you know, seeing, seeing shows like um, Audio Advice Live, I, I think I track Audio Advice Live a little better because I track it back to an integrator mm -hmm. and I forget yeah, it's a story. straight up funnel. Um, yep. and, and also you can probably get sponsors to really cover probably the whole thing. This is, this is a little more indirect. So I'm, I'm really not sure. Um, I kind of get the flow, the, you know, kind of ha how what's well, manufacturers, right? So I, I would assume that the manufacturers are going to either push people if they're, if they're a manufacturer that sells direct. Um, like some of the, the speaker manufacturers, for example, um, obviously they'll push them to their, their, well, I get uh, that website, part. Right? I guess what I'm talking about is the, the scope with home tech expo appears to be almost like a show runner mm -hmm. entity putting on yeah. the show and then funneling to some extent to, to whatever degree those leads or are, are funneled intelligently versus fire and forget will be interesting in terms of measuring success versus you've got a single integrator, a large integrator mm -hmm. putting on a show in terms of measuring success and kind of connecting the dots between kind of top of funnel and close one business, a lot easier to track that. This, I would be afraid of this. If, if it were me, I'd be afraid of the smoke monster a little more with this Home Tech Expo concept. Well, let me jump in before you go too, too deep because you're making some assumptions, Henry, and some of those are are maybe not correct. So I don't want to, I don't want that to be the oh, match, yeah, yeah, match yeah. strike. Oh. Yeah. Um, and I'm only jumping in because I do have a relationship with the event and I do work with Mark on this. So, um, so a little bit of inside knowledge. <clears throat> so I get a little bit of clarification, but definitely jump, jump in and, and fire questions away. Mark was hoping to join us today, but he's on a plane to Salt Lake for the tech summit. Um, so yeah, so the home tech expo is a product of Mark Tchaikovsky. He is the the mastermind behind the tech summits before CDA purchased them. Mark was the one, he was the show organizer and, and producer of those along with his team. He sold to CDA and he continues to help them manage and maintain those events. The footprint has proven to be so successful and there's been such an interest in having some sort of a consumer direct event that's similar to that same footprint, but on a higher end experience, bringing a consumer into a tech summit is, you know, pipe and drape and tabletops with polo shirts yeah. and koozies is not really the experience that that we want the higher end clientele to to see and experience. And to your point, Henry, I mean, there, there wouldn't even be a funnel in that case. There would be a, maybe a beer funnel somewhere else, but it would not be a customer <laughs> funnel of any, of any effect. Um, so, so, so taking sort of the, the model, but completely flipping the, the concept on and on its nose and, and rebuilding it from the ground up and yeah, in Orange County. So very target rich environment, but also targeting the type of clientele that's looking not only for smart home and how to make something 
work maybe possibly on their own without involving the right technology or right integrator, not the clientele they're looking for for this. They really are looking for the homeowner or, the, or those individuals who are going into home ownership and really have an interest in technology and all that it can do as a benefit to their lifestyle, not trying to piecemeal the things together. It, exhibitors will primarily be brands, brands in our channel as well as outside the channel. Where they, you know, big brands, Sony, Samsung, LG, those are expressing great interest. But we also want our channel brands here too. But he wants to take it down a level further and include technology around adjacent spaces in the house that we don't necessarily specialize in. But there may be a crossover. So like EV charging stations, solar, connected appliances, pool, you know, pool maintenance, um, automation, you know, anything that kind of has that, that automation or has some sort of a, a technology backbone. So the consumers that are being approached get the understanding that it isn't just one thing or another thing or a DIY thing that doesn't involve any of the integration community. So a lot of brands will be there. Some integrators will be as well, but obviously they need to be able to kind of take this clientele and put them into a funnel and cater. So there will be some level of scrutiny as to how, you know, who is deemed to be an, an exhibitor that will work really well in this footprint. Mm -hmm. And obviously it's going to evolve. Right. So, you know, it takes, it takes kind of that jumping off point to, to get it there. Um, the way you, uh, every attendee will be badged like we would be badged at a, at a traditional trade show. And all of those leads go to all of the exhibitors. So there is, there's a significant value of, of being on the exhibit, on the exhibit floor, whatever he ends up calling it. Um, and it's a little bit different and then not a, not a home and garden show kind of quality. So anyways, much bigger. Um, and, and one more thing, and then I'll, I'll hand off is the location is TBD at this point. It was going to be at the OC fairgrounds, um, whether it stays there or not is, is TBD, but it will be in Orange County. So Katie, let me, let me ask you this because, you know, again, we were talking about the audio advice live event, um, which again is, I, I realize it's not the same, but it, it it's similar in the sense that, it's a, it's a large, large scale event consumer facing because we don't have those in our industry. They are a unicorn. This is going to be the same thing. Is there an opportunity or, or how do integrators take advantage of these types of scenarios where you can get in front of a large number of semi-qualified, we'll say, um, semi-qualified end users. Mm. This event is one of them, <laughs> but, but you have to wait until the fall of 24 for that one. Um, but it's also, it's also OC, right? right? So right. it's only, there, there's no point in me going to exhibit at that because it's Orange County. Henry likely won't go exhibit at that. So unless this very quickly becomes a, you know, North American wide, not just US, North right. American, come on. Which is the plan, um, by the way, that's the plan. I, I figured you, it You was. didn't hear it from me. That was not a scoop drop But again, long-term, right? These are hard to jump into. And as we know, home and garden shows, unless you've got a really, really well-run home and garden show, they typically don't hit the, you know, quote unquote, CDA demographic. Is there any way that integrators can put on event an event like this or, or something in this vein, or is it just a, a pipe green pipe dream until, you know, potentially Mark expands this <laughs> into other markets. When 
Mark expansive. <laughs> oh wait, no, there I go whispering again. Um, <laughs> no, it, it 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 is tough, but you know I think that the 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 clearest path forward is in involving them. In, so from the integrators' perspective, involve your manufacturers and get this thing that I like to call other people's money, which is yep. for the volume of product that you are buying and paying for on the regular, you will have access to money in a pool that all you need to do is start start having the conversation with your manufacturers of what you'd like to do if you had some money to help promote their brand into your market. So a way to do that is through these events. And there's some some integrators have done a great job and they've promoted it recently. Devance is one. Um, Elliston Systems, another one. It involve other types of companies that provide a service or a product that the type of clientele you're looking for also provides. So high-end um, high car um, dealerships, um, wine stores, cheese shops, um, jewelry location, you know, whether it's a jeweler or somebody who has a, has a jewelry store or several locations, you know, that kind of, that mm-hmm. specialized niche that requires money that isn't allocated on the regular somewhere else. Um, and there's all of those companies, if we're facing the same in the challenge in integration, so too are other, other service providers. So if you guys are all gunning for the same clientele, partner up with them. Um, yeah. and, and look, you know, and, and start developing these events. It will take just to be really clear, it will take no less than 60 days to pull off a successful event. And that's if you have a good team inside that can manage things like event planning on top of integration. <laughs> <laughs> Hire an event planner is Hire, what she's saying. Totally. Hire yeah. an event planner. Yeah. <laughs> so the 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 thing I I was I was kind of noodling on as I was thinking about the audio advice event and the Orange County event was really the model. And Matt, you hit on it, which was like, how does an integrator fit in? Well, in the audio advice model, the integrator is putting on the show. Yeah. The box is out yes. other integrators. So you could say good, bad, or different. Now Orange County has, you know a hundred integrators within, you know, kind of an hour's drive. And the ratchet in there is I'm thinking if I'm one of these brands and I'm exhibiting at the show, if I'm Macintosh or if I'm BMW or any of these brands, I would want to grab a, you know, somebody scan their badge and say, Hey, I gotta, I gotta, you know, somebody's really like, they just finished the synthesis demo and they're like, yes, I want it. Great. I've got uh, an in-home consult available Tuesday afternoon at 3.30. Boom, funnels. It's like, in my mind, it's like, what can the integrator do? The integrator can be available. The integrator can be savvy enough to be easy to do business with. I'm thinking there's this huge front, front office, back office opportunity here. And Katie, if I'm like screwing anything up, forgive me. But like, I'm just thinking, if if these manufacturers are like, they're spending dollars. I would want to track the hell out of that all the way through and say, you know, I landed it to you, integrator, you know, whoever, audio visions or, or whoever, what, what, what came of it? Um, so well, that's, that's the part I was like thinking about. Cause I could so easily connect the dots with the audio advice event. And then, you know, I don't know how the leads are going to go with this, whether it's round Robin or preferred dealers or platinum status, but that, that, that that's what got my gears going a little bit. I would figure, and again, we're making a ton of assumptions right now, so you know that's how we do it. But <laughs> I would I would make the assumption that if it was, for example, a large scale uh, display manufacturer or an appliance manufacturer, read through the lines. Who you think that could be? Um, Wink. 
they're probably not going to, you know, they'll have some preferred or, or platinum dealers that they work with that they may be able to funnel to. But a lot of them, again, they're forward facing, they're D to C, they can just deal with that. But for example, with like Macintosh or, um, you know, any of those really niche brands, they're only going to have two or three dealers, even in OC. So they'll be able to flesh that out appropriately. And to be honest, they're probably going to bring some of those or, or make the option for some of those preferred dealers to show up and work their booth with them. That's, so I, that's exactly right. And that, and, and that's part of the runway that the, the feedback, the resounding feedback and what, you know, Mark puts it in the frame of they needed more of a runway was to sort, mm -hmm. to sort this out because there will be, there will be integrators in the, in the area that will be capable of doing an exhibit of their own and bringing in all of their own brands. And that's, you know, yes, there are those, but there are many other integrators who won't have that opportunity, but they do have a presence with those brands in the marketplace. So what do we do with that? And that, you know, sort of that, yep. Not necessarily true channel conflict, but it does create a conflict unless this is resolved and then, you know, that preferential treatment. So that's definitely part of the runway is just is to sort that out. And, you know, honestly, for me, that was as as Mark was calling me saying, what do you think? I'm like, I, I think this is brilliant because we have as an industry, we have to answer this question and create yeah. a model that works. It, it's, you know, not everything is going to be perfect out of the gate for something like this. But it has to be better than a local home and garden show, and it will be. And imagine if we can take that up like even three notches on the first year and then build that out across the U.S. All of yeah. a sudden now you've got an industry that is being provided leads that otherwise we're going somewhere else. It's huge. Yeah, that's that's the thing. So, you know, and I think what I'd like to just tack on to this is you guys are, are, are having all of the right conversation here and you're making all of all of all of the assumptions um, for anybody that's listening to to this episode. Go and read the story and then reach out to Mark with your questions and ask him because it's the asking of the questions that's creating the environment for him to ask stop and think about how the event really needs to be structured and who needs to be there and how everybody just reach out to henry and i because we've seen <laughs> no you guys can totally got this solved you got it figured. yeah and mark's a busy dude so yeah mark no problem henry clifford and no, mac d scott are now your agents we, <laughs> don't worry there will be a fee we're, we're charging for this we're don't guessing worry. we're guessing a lot it, part of what what got me going on this too is uh saturday night i went to a a, a concert to dead and company or touring and they clearly Macintosh thinks pretty highly of the Dead and Company audience because they are like blasting yeah. their brand. And I'm sitting there going, who do you know who's got Mac gear? I mean, every single person I know who owns Mac gear, it's they're you know, either ultra high net worth or yeah, they're pretty much ultra high net worth. And so it's like it was interesting to me like to see a brand like that. And so again, you know, hearing about this show, it gets me excited. Um, so it, I can't wait to see how the first one goes. That that's the same as if you, if you've ever, and we're totally sidetracked Um, but if you ever follow like the advertisers of the golf channel or cause I'm, I, I may or may not be watching, uh, uh, the Paris France open right now. Um, Rolling Arrows, the sponsors that that sponsor tennis, the sponsors that sponsor F one, yeah, up until like one, two years ago. One's a good example. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Up until two years ago, that it, it's only ultra high worth products, mm. 
And that's that's who the clientele is. And and I think that's the biggest thing that we as an industry have missed at is we market to the same people that are looking at to to put it crassly, like the Walmart circular. Those are typically not your clients. The ones that that check the the Best Buy ad, with all due respect, they're typically not your customers. But you can't seem, we as an industry have done a really poor job of getting actually in front of our customers. All right, let's hit one story because Henry's here and we never get a chance to do this. So this comes to us from Residential Systems um, and this will just be a long episode and you can deal with it. Beware of warp zone employees uh, by the one and only Mr. Henry Clifford. Uh, Read through the article. As always, it's a great little, um, it's a great little article. Henry's talking about an employee who was asking for more money and did a little bit of, we'll say additional effort to justify the increase in salary and then very quickly fell back off. Um, And how that, you know, is, is, Probably you, you didn't allude to it in the article, but I'll make the general assumption um, that this happens a lot. <laughs> it's very rarely a situation where um, someone asks for more money. You say, yes, we want you to step it up a little bit uh, just in general, level up a touch, and then you will get more money. And then they'll do that for, for a moment and they very quickly fall back to their old ways. Katie, the the thing that came to mind when I read this was just, again, if you've ever had a business or had employees, you know this story and this is your life, right? Everyone wants more money and that's cool. And we get it. We all want more money too. But trying to justify why you deserve more money is the challenge. Is this mostly continually just coming back to the worth work ethic of the the, the employee uh, or the partner or the team member, whatever you want to call them and essentially their personal ethics. Because if you get an employee that is driven, you will watch them just ascend, right? But they've got the work ethic and usually the ethics to go along with that ascension versus there's a lot of people who just, for lack of a better term, whine about getting more money, but they don't have the work ethic to justify an increase. Am I wrong on that? No, 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 not at all. Not at all. Um, <laughs> I think, um, you know, it's, it's been a, this is an interesting topic because this comes, this comes up very frequently and I'm, and I'm very proud of, of both of you thus far that there one word hasn't been used in relation to this and it starts with an M and I'm not going to say it, but I think that generally speaking that there is a, an unfortunate significant amount of the population of working age that doesn't consider the ascension and, and the, mm-hmm. the object of not reaching the C-suite first before we've done other jobs that might provide us the experience and the expertise and the ability to lead others. All three of those things is what you develop by being in the seat, in various seats around the table, on the way to, on your way, on your journey to the C-suite. You don't just get to go and assume the position and take the title and all of a sudden, voila, you are the expert, you have all of the expertise, and therefore you should be providing advice, providing consultation, and being paid that rate. It There is just, there's something really uncanny going on with, with this assumption that because I want, I will, 
And while I love the drive of what that is, <laughs> personally, I really do love that drive. That's awesome. <laughs> but we need time in the role to be able to understand what the role can do and what it can't mm -hmm. do. And, and I think that that's what's getting missed. And so when, the, when it always comes back to money and I need more money if you're going to keep me, that, that's kind of a hostile threat. Because it's, it, it is assuming that your performance should be speaking for itself. And I have always been a really performance-driven person. And it's how I, I judge myself. It's how I judge others. You know, It's like the proof is in the pudding. And if the pudding mm -hmm. is what it is, then you're going to be paid appropriately for that pudding. But if the pudding sucks, it's going to have that little reduced for prompt sales sticker that you see on the green meat at the grocery store that nobody wants to buy. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's a weird analogy, just, but it's three days before I leave for Infocom. <laughs> you just wash it off. It's fine. It's, it's wet aged. But anyways, yeah, it's fine. yeah. So that's, you know, I think it, there is just something really interesting about this and it's frustrating. And I think for employers, it's, it's one of the hardest things to figure out about how you, how do you evolve your business and how do you continue to grow your business when you're having to fight this mentality of, I just got hired, but I think that I should be doing this job and I should be getting paid what everybody else here is getting paid because I've never done this thing before and I don't have the expertise, but because I think I should be. And the longer the employers have to deal with that conversation and try to express why that just isn't logical, the more time that's not being spent actually developing employees. And even that employee who comes to the table with that mentality, they just need to be yeah. coached through it. But if they do not have the ethics to begin with, so it's a wasted time and effort. It's a lose, lose. Yeah. All right, Henry, wrap this up for us. Um, Again, fantastic article, and I'm so glad you're here to actually talk about your article because we we usually just talk about you um, <laughs> and, and, and your wonderful writing. Don't don't make it weird, Katie. It's not um, weird. It's great. <laughs> it is the the tough takeaway that I I've had is all we keep hearing about is wages needing to increase to a keep employees to keep up with essentially the economy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, I I won't speak for you, but I'll speak for, for, for me in our company, we're paying people more than we ever had or ever have for less work than we've ever received essentially. Um, and it just continues to increase the desire of our employees to continually see their pay increase with, you know, we, we, we've got some that are, again, they're driven. So they're showing up late or show, showing up <laughs> early, staying late, working harder, trying to level up their skills, trying to gain skills. They're trying to move up in the company. And I applaud them for that. But we also have like every company, we got a lot of people that just want every increase that they hear some major company giving on the news because they're fighting to keep employees. We also have that. How do you balance the, the dramatic rise in expectation with the lack of, I, I, I don't want to say that they, they, uh, they don't deserve it, but like we got wire pullers making tons of money these days and it's not, it, by no means is it comparable with what the actual job entails, right? How do you balance that? Or is that just an, an economic reality? Another great question. I, I'm a big fan of, there's a book that Reed Hastings wrote called No Rules Rules. And he, he talks about 
at Netflix, the concept that adequate performance gets a generous severance. And, and the notion that, (laughs) and the notion that, um, that excellent, an excellent employee versus a merely adequate employee, specifically in knowledge work, that, that employee could be a 10 X, could be a 10 X performer over the merely adequate employee. And so therefore like higher wages in some cases are, are merited and, and justified and can be priced in. And so that in this case, we aggressively seek to understand top of personal market for all our job descriptions. And we pay above top of personal market as a recruiting technique so that people are going to be reluctant to leave. Um, and, and then also we are going to have ideally a stack of resumes and candidates waiting because they know that we're paying top of personal market. Um, the, the warp zone phenomenon really is, is best kind of illustrated where you get somebody who says, I could be doing more if you just unlock all of this untapped potential by paying me more. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I tell you, I, I've, I've been suckered into that a few times and really, you know, kind of discovering that ultimately, not even discovering, it's just common sense that, I mean, we all have kind of this set point, right? And uh, a comp will spike it a little a little comp bump will spike it, but ultimately it'll calm back down. And we all have this set point. So what we've done is try to focus on identifying folks on this at the selection stage, the hiring stage, who've got that kind of set point that we're we're sort of looking for. Sort of like the old adage of somebody asking the CEO of Southwest Airlines, you know, your your employees smile all the time. Like, how do you get them to smile? And they said, you know, we just hire people who smile. And so that that's kind of my take is that like we kind of weaponize the wage to yeah. aggressively pay at top of personal market. Um, and we make it our business to, to shop constantly. So we pay above. And so we don't, you know, so if somebody comes to us and says they want more and it's above top of personal market, we know immediately, you know, you can't pencil that out. They all have metrics, you know, every single role in an organization does. And so you're either hitting your KPIs or you're not, and that's yep. easily measurable. And you can kind of go, well, help me understand here on this boring old spreadsheet, like how it is that we're kind of missing or, or, or aligning. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the take, but the warp, the warp zone bit, I'd say it's uh, a little bit of dark humor and I have no more tears on that one. Oh, that's good. That's great. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's leave it there. Thank you both so much for joining us. Uh, Katie, if people want to connect with you, learn more about KMB Communications, where can they do that? Mm, they can find us all over the sphere at KMBcom or KMB Communications. Just look for the logo with the mountain on it. That's us. Excellent. Henry, my friend, thank you for joining us. Uh, if people want to connect with you, learn more about Livewire or Paracel or any of your other uh, writings, where can they do that? Sure. Um, at get Livewire, at get parasol and I'm on LinkedIn and, uh, AOL and uh, all the, all the modern stuff. MySpace. MySpace. Um, yeah, yeah. All of them. Friendster, <laughs> you can find me there and also in the yellow pages. Excellent. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Thank you all for joining us. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter at Matt D. Scott and most other social platforms. But more importantly, please visit avianation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of other shows with all the verticals that we cover. 
When you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our supporters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you check them out as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week.